Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Touchdowns All Day with John Barber Podcast. The podcast that thinks that COVID-19 is a dick. And we're going to talk about it today. I have some thoughts, and I commend everyone for really coming together as a world, buckling down, and keeping this thing to what seems like a manageable level, even though it's still terrible. But this thing could have gone crazy. It really could have could have done some really really bad things. And um, it has done bad things. I know people have had it, and it just it seems awful just seems like what they've gone through is worse than what I would ever want to go through. So I, I hope nobody else in the world gets it ever. I don't wanna I don't wanna take away from the rest of this podcast though, which is the Alan O'Quinn part two super interview. Alan was very candid, very descriptive, gets into all sorts of amazing things that I didn't even know, and I don't think you knew either. So stay tuned. If you haven't listened to the first part of the Alan O'Quinn interview, pause this and go to your podcast player and switch to episode 29 of the Touchdowns All Day podcast and listen to the first half. It's riveting. It's the handmaid's tale of podcast interviews, frankly. You're going to love it. And then come back and pick this up because this episode 30... Volume 2 of the Allen interview is just as riveting and just as handmade. All right, so let's get in with the show here. Uh, just want to let you guys know we have Touchdowns All Day merch on our website, touchdownsallday.com. Click the shop link and buy a bathrobe. If we sell all the merch, we're going to make these cool, funky pants next. So go on there, buy some merchandise, and then we're going to use that money and roll it into these cool pants that is the kind of stuff that I wear on stage. And yes, I wear the bathroom on stage too, and you can go buy that bathroom right now, and it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. It absorbs water quite well. We also have a Touchdowns All Day YouTube page, which we've just opened up. Crunk Mike has been hard at work, and we have the video of the Mark Brownstein interview complete with the live concert that we're talking about video cut together like it's just incredible and you can watch me and mark talk about the show and then we cut to the show and you see the actual video it's the future of live concert broadcasting brought to you by touchdowns all the youtube page we are the future folks we're making it here and you can see, you can see what's happening. There's a million podcasts now, and they're all going to do this format of here's the music, let's talk about it, right? We're making the future here. We're setting the trends. Next thing you know, wearing boring t-shirts and really crazy pants is going to be super hip. Just watch. Just watch. It's going to happen. And on our dear podcast here, coming up, we do have some amazing podcasts coming up keep you guys entertained we have pigeons playing ping pong space jesus we have some more round tables we have a 103.3 Asheville interview we're going to drop for you guys so you can hear it and then we have some huge interviews in the can beyond that as well so i don't want to talk about those yet 
Uh, the round tables are great. Everything's really good. We're going to put a lot of stuff on the YouTube page, so a lot more video coming up. And uh, we want you guys to come along. We want you guys to subscribe to our YouTube page. That is where you're going to be able to see our TV show that we're making. It's called Survivor Quarantine. Do you want to play? Are you interested? Survivor Quarantine is going to be the most cutting-edge jam band show in the world. And it's a reality show that we're going to make. You make it in your quarantine. Everybody's quarantines together. And we stitch it together and make a TV show out of it. It's challenges. It's difficult. It's fun. It's social. It's everything you're missing in quarantine. We're going to put into one show. Plus, you got your host, John Barber. So, really great stuff, Survivor Quarantine. Go to the Touchdowns All Day website and click Survivor and read the one page about what it is and then apply Send us a little video and try and play the, play the game with us. It's going to be great. We're going to have some famous people playing the game too. It's going to be really, really fun. And we want you. We want you to, to at least watch. You know, At least go to our YouTube page and watch it if you don't have time to play. But it's, it's you know, what's your social life now in quarantine, right? This is, for me, this is like social life. It's That's why we're doing Survivor Quarantine is because I just want to hang out with some people that I don't know. You know, and that in the survivor quarantine is a great chance to do that. Are people I don't know that great? Because we're all locked in a house because of COVID nineteen. So what's going to happen with COVID nineteen? Like people ask me, is there going to be Camp Bisco? Is there going to be a Bisco tour? Is there what is there going to be? And you know, it's hard for me to talk about it because the Disco Biscuits were we were there. We were we are ready. The Chicago shows, I think we're going to do a podcast uh, more in depth on the Chicago shows because what band was that? That was the new sound of the Biscuits. I've been trying for years to get the Biscuits to have like a super unique and original sound just all to themselves. I really, really have wanted that for a long time. And we finally have cooked that up in our kitchen. Finally got it done. We go to Chicago. We're like, here it is. Blah, 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 blah. People are loving it. Crowd went crazy. People are telling me that it's parts of the Chicago shows is some of the best stuff we've ever done. And that was just the beginning. And then this COVID-19 thing comes. And suddenly, within 48 hours, we're at the Fillmore. We've set up the stage at the Fillmore. And boom. One instance later, our entire year of shows is canceled. I show up to the Fillmore for sound check. I walk on stage. This looks great, guys. When sound check? They say sound check is in 15 minutes. I say, okay, why don't I mosey backstage and make a tea or something, you know, mellow and relaxing for the afternoon to get me in a good mood for sound check. And then in that 15 minute period, the entire world was closed for the next nine months because of this COVID-19. How about that? What is going on? That is unbelievable. I think we need to talk for a second about how COVID-19 works. Just so I can make a point. Okay? What COVID-19 is, is a virus. What a virus is, is a small piece of, let's say, ejected DNA. And... It's just random DNA. It literally could be like two pieces of your eyes are yellow and two pieces of you have long fingernails. 
Right? Whatever. You know how there's three billion base pairs or something in DNA. And that base pair is a little piece of... It's a single piece, right? And viruses may be like a couple thousand of those. Which is nothing compared to three billion. You know what I mean? Three billion... Let's, let's think about it a different way. Three billion people is half of Earth. A couple thousand people is a Hootie and the Blowfish concert. That's the difference, right? So you have this tiny piece of DNA, but for the, for the way that this DNA works, they fold in a weird way, and sometimes they attract these fat molecules, and these fat molecules surround them and make a little ball. And then what happens is you have a little piece of just ejected DNA in a ball of fat, and the fat collects these little prickly things just because fat sticks to stuff, and that prickly thing pops a hole in the cell and pushes the DNA into the cell, and then the cell just reproduces it. The fact is, all life on Earth has been created by a Ron Burgundy process. You remember how in the movie Anchorman, they say Ron Burgundy will read anything that you put on the teleprompter? Well, all life on Earth is based on these DNA replicators that will replicate any DNA you give them. So it's in your body, but another piece of DNA gets in there and it just replicates it. It doesn't care. Replicate, 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 replicate. Oh no, sorry. I just dumped your bloodstream filled with COVID-19. Whoops. Sorry. Flaw. Huge flaw. That is how a human works. That's how a a mosquito works. That is how a cucumber works. That is how every living thing on Earth works. It's DNA replication. And it's got a flaw. The flaw, it's got what I call the anchorman flaw. And that's all that's going on here, folks. The whole world shut down in 10 minutes because the anchorman flaw exists. And I think we need to worry. I mean, if you're an alien species and you're like, you know, people are like, are aliens visiting Earth? Of course they are, right? Even the government agrees that there's aliens visiting Earth at this point. They don't fear us because they know, well, those guys are just a bunch of anchorman DNA replicators and we don't really need to worry about them because the only reason they're replicating themselves is because we haven't introduced any other DNA into their into their e- ecosystem yet. But the second you put another DNA in there, I, I could turn into a, a cat tomorrow. Because my DNA replicators don't care. They'll read anything you put on the teleprompter. And that's just what it is, folks. That's all this is. The viruses are not bacteria. Bacterias have needs and wants. They need. They want food. They want to reproduce. Viruses don't want to reproduce. Viruses don't have a brain. They don't have anything else. It's just a little piece of random DNA that got caught in a fat molecule that got a little piece of pointy stickers on it. And that's happening so much in the world that there's millions of these things. And then it hits your cell. It pops into the cell a little bit, puts a little DNA into the cell. You know, because the cell's always osmosising, pulling things in and out of it, right? The cells are always, the cell walls are always pushing and pulling and get rid of this get take in the protein push out the exhaust if you will right 
that's what's going on. And then it pulls in this little virus, and this virus says, gotcha, I'm just a little dumb piece of DNA. And the DNA replicator says, oh, let me reproduce that 100,000 times in the next minute. And there you go. 100,000 times in the next minute. And then boom, it explodes, and then you have virus everywhere. Flaw. Huge flaw in all of life on Earth. And that's it. Sucks. Now I don't have a job. Talking to you guys on a podcast is what's left of my job because thank God that it takes a flaw of this magnitude to stop the Disco Biscuits from what they were doing. You know what I mean? Because we were, we were there. We were on the path. This summer was just pure destruction waiting to happen for everybody. Everybody was excited. I was excited. Band was freaking out. Everybody loved it. It was amazing. So we'll get back to that, folks. We will get back to that. Promise you. So look, this interview with Alan, I love it. Can't wait to do another interview with Alan. Can't wait to hang out with Alan when we get out of quarantine. Uh, He's doing lessons on Live Lesson Masters. If y'all want to hang out with Alan before quarantine is over. I don't know if he's sold out or not. I haven't looked, but... uh, He's a, he really knows how to play drums. If you if you want to be a drummer, you owe it to have a lesson with him. Guy knows everything. And in this interview, he does talk a lot about the different ways that he drums and and what he does to to get up and get into it. It's great conversation. So, let's get to that. But first, I want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is Harry's Razors, harrys.com/touchdowns. It's just a better blade. That's it. It's just better. It's the same price. They're about $2 a blade no matter where you go. This one's just better. So uh, listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash touchdowns. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go for tour. Go to harrys.com slash touchdowns and start shaving better today. That's harrys.com slash touchdowns. And then they uh, they support the podcast. So support them. They support us. And here we go. Bring a podcast because this is my job now, I guess. I don't, I don't know how to have a band um, in a quarantine. But we're working on that. We're talking about that. We're making stuff. We're making stuff. We're going to get to that. Let's get to this Alan interview. Let's hit the theme song.
What a day, what a day. So, you know, that was really my COVID-19 rant. How that thing works and what's going on. But I'd like to shout out Mother Nature real quick. Because she works quickly. So the humans all get locked in their houses and look how quickly Mother Nature reclaims the planet. There's dolphins in the Venice lagoons. There's pollution that's been here for 40 years is gone in 30 days. A whole entire... My friends live in India and they have a view outside of their house that was just clouds and now they can see these giant mountains that are hundreds of miles away that they can never see because of pollution? I think there's that's that's the Lance Armstrong lesson, right? So everybody's down on Lance Armstrong because hey, he cheated or whatever. But very rarely do people say that taking steroids and biking a lot is a cure for cancer. Cuz you can't say that. But for Lance it was. It's amazing, right? And that is never discussed. All we the thing is shame on him. He ruined bicycling. Hashtag, I never paid attention to bicycling in the first place. Hashtag, I'm not going to talk about the fact that bicycling plus steroids plus cancer equals remission. What? Right? And I hope that we don't make the same mistake with COVID-19 because, you know, you know how I feel about it. I just talked about it. On the other side of the coin, look at the environment. Look how quickly our environment comes back to... There's birds, the pollution is gone, the water's cleaning up. There's so many stories. If you were to go online and Google environmental impact of COVID-19, that's this is the first time in the history of Google that environmental impact has positive stories attached to it. First time. I, I, I got to ask Google to confirm that. Hey, Google. Is, is that Google's name is Google? Google's name is Google. That's like my name being touchdowns all day. Hey, what's up? I'm touchdowns all day. Yeah, that's right. That's my name. Um, anyways, touchdowns all day feels amazing about the environmental impact of COVID-19 and what that says for turning off internal combustion engines for good. Right? That's that's what happened, isn't it? As we stopped setting fire to small amounts of gasoline and shooting the smoke into the air. Is it, Can someone come on? Touchdowns All Day wants someone to come on Touchdowns All Day and explain in a way that sounds like Touchdowns All Day what the environmental impact was of COVID-19 and what we can do going forward to get that environmental impact without being quarantined. What do we have to do as a society to get rid of the pollution and let the dolphins swim places? And there was whales off the uh, Santa Monica coast. They're just hanging out, having a fun day. Like, what's wrong with sharing the earth like that? What is wrong with that? Touchdowns All Day wants to know. Anyways, um... We got some music to listen to, of course, on the show here. Rich Steele did his usual extra 
deliberating job of picking out the choicest, choicest Wagyu jams. These are Alan's drumming jams. Uh, the one we listened to on the last episode was Pure Fire. And this one is apparently The Fire. So one's Pure Fire and the other's The Fire. I like it. I might change my name to Pure Fire. Pure Fire, The Fire, touchdowns all day. You know what I mean? So this is from 2009. We're going to play a lot more 2009 music on the podcast. We've been letting that year go. And I know a lot of you fans have reached out, hashtag touchdowns all day, and told us, play more 2009. We've gotten emails about it at podcast at touchdowns all day. Here it is, right? We're, We're responding to you guys. It's a symbiotic symbiotic. It's a symbiotic situation. Touchdowns all day. Here's you speak. Some shit like that, right? I don't know. I should just get a button that says that. Um, but yeah, we're gonna play more 2009. We're gonna get into some of these jams. We're gonna find out what you guys. We're gonna listen to what you guys are talking about. What the big deal is? Here's a jam. April twenty fourth, two thousand nine. This is Ladies Orc theme. It's from the Madison Theater in Covington, Kentucky. What? The Madison? I can like almost barely not really remember playing the show at all. How does that? Is that a thing? Covington, Kentucky, Madison Theater. Way to go, Covington, Kentucky. You you got the Allen Super Jam under your belt. Al- Clearly, Allen showed up to play this night. The... um. There's E-Drum Madness in this jam, which is why I think Rich picked it. There's also complete chaos in this jam. And Rich gave it the good stuff smiley face emoji. So uh, when Rich goes to smiley face and no emoji, you know that something is good about it. Let's hear it. Starts off hot. Love the break. More of this. Okay, real quick, for those of you who are like, what are these guys doing? What we're doing is not playing descending chords. Even though we're in descending chords. But we're trying to not play them because they're very sticky. Once you get into descending chords, it's kind of hard to come out of them because you all have to come out at the same time. You all have to really be on the same page. So you can hear us in the descending chords. We know it's it's cool what we're doing. We know we want to jam on it, but n- literally nobody plays the same thing twice because everybody in the band knows that if we stick in this, we're stuck. 
And nobody wants to be stuck. Look, we're going somewhere else entirely. going i love the baseline that mark just went to and the sound this is this is this is pure fire this is the fire
How's that feel, Kentucky? And how you like that? I, I is the bands play this kind of music in Covington, Kentucky, that regularly? Probably, right? I bet you everybody played Mass in theater in 2009. How fun is this? Great jam, Alan, with those those e drum conga things, whatever those are. Love it. Here we go, back to more chaos. Finally, we got to some good stuff. Here we go. This is what I'm in the mood for right now. Let's see where this goes.
That should be called Big Wave Surfing the Jam because that is some huge, huge sounds right there. The fire. Huge jam. Definitely a couple of amazing moments in there that make me want to just go back and snip them out and make songs with them. Because damn, that was fire. So thanks, Alan, for playing such hot beats. Thanks, Alan, for giving us such a great interview. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce Dr. Famous, Mr. Alan O'Quinn, volume two of the Candid Interview. Here we go. Oh, man. <laughs> for me, it's a pretty easy question to answer. <laughs> giving away my kryptonite. Uh, Stone Waltz, dude, is the hardest shit I have ever learned <laughs> and ever played. And I'm, I, I don't know why. It's just something about it. I love it. I think Stone and Waltz are both, but Stone is one of my favorites, but it's it's hard for me to play. I don't know if it's because it's the, the odd phrasing or what's going on, but dude, that's like, oh shit, here we go. Buckle up the seatbelt and hold on to the seat of your pants, you know, for me when we play that one. Everything in that song is odd. I couldn't even explain it to you if I tried, you know what I mean? That's part of, that's part of what's hard about it. And then Devil's Waltz is almost the complete opposite, you know? It's like classical waltz. It's got this structure to it. They both have structure, but, you know, I don't know. Those two songs get me going all the time. <laughs> They're hard for me to play, too. I find them difficult. I think the hardest song for me to play is Sound One. Ah, yeah. That one's, that one's all right for me. Yes, because I'm not really playing a guitar part. I'm playing a computer. Sammy did all on a computer, uh-huh. so it's like, he doesn't care how fast it goes. <laughs> he doesn't care. Uh-huh. It's a lot of notes, man. Yeah, it's a lot of notes. It's a lot of notes. So we have uh, one fan asked us, they asked, what is your approach to dynamics? And what's your opinion about layering an e-drum as the dynamics push to peaks? Kind of a specific question, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go fans. <laughs> so what's the approach to dynamics? Yeah, like you just talk on dynamics for a little bit. It's a lot with listening, you know. If you're playing very quietly and sparsely, I can't be blasting on top of you, you know, so I have to pay attention to what mm-hmm. the fellow bandmates are doing. And then you can use them to just shape and change the music. As you've called, you know, sometimes when we're just blasting and we're, we're shredding, and then you've called us to just cut down to nothing you know it, it, it makes it you know the dynamics make a dramatic effect in that sense do you think there's a place in the dynamics like when we're very quiet and we're very loud do you feel like there's a place for the e-drums and i think that's what kind of what they're asking uh. like, is there a place in the dynamics where the e-drums are kind of like very money when you layer them in yeah well you know if we're in this real nasty groove and i bring in like a clap or a, or a different or a different snare drum on the right two or four it just makes that groove fatten up you know so much more and that's just mm-hmm. just one note you know as far as the, the dynamics with the e-drums i mean it just kind of all depends on where the jam is i guess so there isn't there isn't a set way to do it no definitely not because uh, everything our music is changing and sometimes we're building to a peak or sometimes we're building to a, a whole new song completely. So it's just kind of like, if I'm going to e-drums, I try to mix the e-drums in with what I'm already playing acoustically. That way, when I go to e-drums, it's not such a dramatic switch. And this, the same thing coming off of the e-drums. Whenever we're 
we're kind of going towards some other groove or song, I try to get off the e-drums and mix in the acoustic kit. That way, when I come back to the acoustic kit, it doesn't sound kind of like we lost the bottom end because the e-drums dropped out. So, Oh, yeah, that's got to be a constant thing, going back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. And is the e-drums, is that that multi-pad unit yep. the, that sits on the left? Yep. What, what comprises the e-drums? The e-drums, that's uh, that box that sits above my snare drum and next to my high tom, and it's got nine pads on it. I'm running a audio signal from the unit to my uh, computer, and then I'm actually running a MIDI signal. So I'm playing sounds out of the unit, and I'm also mm-hmm. using the unit to play sounds off of my... I have uh, Ableton up. I'm running a couple drum machines in there that have sounds that are in the computer that I'm playing off of the unit, the box, the e-drums. Is that so if the computer crashes, your e-drums still work? Uh, well, no, it's too... Well, for example, the e-kick is actually coming out of the computer, but I'm using the MIDI signal from the the e-drums to play the e-kick out of the computer. And one reason we do that is so we can send Pat a separate channel of just e-kick, and then he separates that from the rest of the e-drums. That way he can make sure, you know, if he needs to add or take out any low end from one, he doesn't affect the other or make louder, you know, vice versa. Yeah, because the e-kick has to be on its own thing because it goes through a whole different set of processing because it's all low end. It's all subwoofer stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he's got to be able to cut all the loud upper noises out of it so he can, you know, isolate the sound of the low and then amplify that as much as possible yep. without other artifacts. Exactly. Do you think as the drummer of the Disco Biscuits that you should play the E-Kick all night long? <laughs> or do you think that there's reason to play other kicks than that? Oh, well, that all depends on how I'm feeling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Or if there's a head in the acoustic, uh, or uh, uh, the head is broke. No, I think, uh, well, you know, yeah. I think you got to save it because there's been great moments where it doesn't happen all the time. But if we are on the, we're playing all night and I've been on the acoustic kick and then we go into a jam and it's like a real dark and awesome sounding trance jam or something and i switch to the e-kick we've the, the crowd is let up look like this thunderous roar you know so it feels that feels awesome so i feel like you don't want to play it all night because when you go to it in the right moment it's just everybody's happy about it so and i think if you used it all the time you'd get tired of it it wouldn't be a special that roar is crazy man. yeah and you're like what are they what are they what are they cheering and it's like oh it's the e-kick okay wow all right Gotta play. That makes me want to play it more, but it also makes it happy that when I play it, it's like appreciated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's all that separate processing that creates uh-huh. that. It's kind of like when your your different guitars get different cheers. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's weird too. I still I still don't understand that, but I like it. Yeah. It's fun. Uh-huh. So the little speaker that's the little drum that's in front of the kick drum uh people want to know what that little drum is is that little drum designed to give you an e-drum out of the acoustic kick drum or what is that thing it's actually a sub kick so it's a it's not a drum it just looks like a drum and it is a large diaphragm it's basically like an inverted speaker that just pulls all the low end out of the the kick there they made it look like a drum Yamaha thing. So it's just a microphone. Yep, big microphone. Mm-hmm. Wow. So does it help the sound of the microphone that it's shaped like a little drum like that? You know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one, but uh, I don't know if it was like an aesthetic thing, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna make this look like a little drum," or if that was actually the deal. What do you think? 
I don't see why not. I mean, it could be sized to basically just amplify a really low frequency off the, you know, the out and then the mics inside of that. That's kind of how a guitar works. Uh-huh. You know, you have this little small cavity of air uh-huh. and then you have a little sound hole. The sound comes out of that. Maybe it creates a little cavity of air that uh, allows the microphone to pick up really sub bass mm. frequency mm-hmm. stuff. Would you play without it? Or do you really feel like it's that important to the setup? Uh, you know, that's actually a Pat thing. Uh, I would play without it. I do shows without it. Uh, but I feel like uh, we don't in the Disco Biscuits. But uh, And I feel like there's a reason for that. You know, I feel like my drums sound the best when we're in the Disco Biscuits. That's the, you know, the bigger shows. And we have our Pat, our engineer there that's been there for years. And he's a sound guru himself so he picked that up he, he asked one day if, what i thought about it and he said he wanted to use it and he saw a couple different artists use it and he liked their bass drum tone and we started using it yeah very cool so that's the kick drum obviously special microphones special feeds it seems like you're setting up the equipment to process the sound as much as it can on the other hand you have a set of snare drums that all seem to just be mic'd separately. They're all pretty much, like, they're all kind of right there. And you mentioned earlier in the interview, you were talking about when you were playing music in high school, and you said it was kind of a big deal when they promoted you to the snare. Uh-huh, yep. And now you have this, like, array of snares. Yeah. It's clearly a pretty important instrument. What's the logic with the different snare drums? Can you take us through the different ones and what you use them for? Yeah, uh, I have three snare drums. Uh, I got the main snare, you know, sitting there with the kit. And that's just, you know, it's tuned kind of like in the middle, not too high, not too low. It's like your all-purpose type snare drum. And then the one that's immediately to my left and under the hi-hat, we actually call the dirty snare. And it is a, I used to use a Chad Smith nickel-plated snare. I think this one we're using now is a brass and, you know, actually, we did a session when we were working on Planet Anthem. There was this producer that came to the studio in Philly, and he was, I don't remember who he came with, but he took my drum and he was tuning it, and he was just, like, messing it up. He was just, like, untuning this lug and cranking that lug. There was no, like, everything I knew about tuning, it was completely wrong. And I was like, you, you know that this lug is just completely loose. And he was like, yeah, man. It's going to sound like a French house snare drum. Just just chill out. And I was like, okay, all right. And then I played it, and it was it was awesome. I was like, holy crap. That I never thought you could do that. I thought you had to make them all the same pitch and tune them up together. And they all, we tune it like that guy, basically. You know? So that guy, I learned it from that dude. I don't remember his name. Um, was who that came Simon? With. Do you remember who it was? Was it Simon and Benji? I don't know if it was with Simon or not. Um, I remember the dude had a fur coat. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was from L.A. Oh, okay. I think he was from L.A. I forget his name. He was from L.A. And, uh, yeah, he did a couple songs on Planet Inn. I tuned that drum because of him. And side note on a little tangent from the snare drums, I actually tuned my bass drum because of Simon. We had a, a talk that when we were doing those sessions with Simon about where he liked the bass drum. And so ever since then, I've pretty much kept it there, you know. But uh, he likes to detune the batter head, the head that the kick pedal is hitting, you're hitting with your, your foot. And he likes to, de- to detune that as, as low as possible and then get your tone from the, uh, the top, the front head. So it was a little different than what I was doing before I met Oscar. 
Uh, but anyway, getting back to the snares. Yeah, we, we tuned that, the dirty snare, low. And I like it. it to me, it kind of sounds, the way we tune it, it, it sounds more like a dirty like drum and bass snare. Something that like Goldie would use or something like that. And then actually, I also like that for like some, if we're in like some loosey-goosey funk, I like to play that snare drum. But the snare drum that's on top of that is a 12-inch, and uh, it's like a 12-inch popcorn. And uh, I use that for like my, my firecracker or like uh, drum and bass uh, sounds. So, and that one's cranked as hard as we can get it without breaking it, basically. <laughs> going to explode one day. Yeah, yeah it might. <laughs> so you have this wild setup on stage. What's your setup at home? My setup at home right now, it varies. On stage, it's a wild setup, but for a while at home, it was just like a four-piece kit with, uh, you know, one crash, a ride, and a hat. So from, like, as many cymbals and drums and snares as I could fit on a riser to very basic minimum kit but uh right now actually i have kind of a hybrid kit set up i have an alesis uh six piece e-drum kit that i play and that has uh a ride and two crashes on top of that i i set up a auxiliary snare drum so it's in the dirty snare position but it's actually tuned as a regular snare drum and then i have my hi-hat and my my ride so it's kind of like an, an electronic kit with some acoustic embellishments rather than an acoustic kit with uh, electronic embellishments. And that makes it where I can practice and play, because, uh, you know, I have a daughter, and she's two, two and a half. So I can play, like, any, any you know, any time, and I won't, I won't be blasting my wife and daughter out of the house, basically. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, that's really great. You and I were talking the other day, and you say you have a camera in there. Yep. And you can do a video conference with another person while you're playing the drums. Yep, uh-huh. I actually have two cameras going. We did uh, some drum lessons on, on Friday, and uh, I have a camera on my feet, so you can see, like, the kick pedal and hi-hat pedal, and then I, I have a, <laughs> oh, wow. a camera coming on, yeah, yeah, oh, coming on top, so you can see the, the top stuff. You're using this to teach people how to play the drums? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, when I teach people how to play the guitar, my number one thing that I'm trying to tell them is... If you're singing what you're playing, you're probably good, you know? So that's the one thing you have to remember to do. As a drummer, when you're teaching your students, what is like the one thing you try and tell them to really understand? Well, kind of depends on where they're at. Time, when you're starting out or if you haven't played to a click, you, for years, uh, it's easy to rush and drag. So, and especially when you're doing fills, you tend to like, rush when you're playing that drum fill so i would say you'd have to breathe and when you say sing your guitar part that makes me think they need to be able to sing their drum part but they also have to have like enough independence to play the drum part so it all depends on where what level the student is at if they're at a beginning level then i'm trying to make sure they know where the time is and i'm trying to make sure they understand the the drum beat but if they're at a level where they got like you know the rudiments in check, and uh, they they have a couple of different grooves under their under the, in their hands and everything. Then we're trying to like play the melodies and more song structure. So is that when to put fills in while you're playing the beat? Yeah, phrasing and supporting the melody, basically, and just being conscious of of your tempo, making sure you're not rushing and dragging. What level is like beat independent as a drummer? 
That's what I'm trying to get. <laughs> what level is it? The way I was trained, it was like, you know, snare drum was like level one. You had to get through the snare drum. And then you, you yes. get your rudiments and everything. You can't play awesome guitar solos until you know your scales type deal. So you got to get your rudiments. Mm-hmm. And then, then you get your drum kit. And I think that's like level two. So I think level three, because at first you got some beats, you know, but then you start trying to do something weird with your right foot. And all of a sudden your right hand wants to do the same thing that your right foot's doing. So to get past that, I think, I think that's level three. Okay. So I'm level (laughs) 2.9. You're close, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm getting close, but I just want my feet to do stuff that's rhythmic without me having to think about what they're doing. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And like, and that frees up my hands to do stuff and not worry about my foot being attached to it. Yeah, that's a hard one. Right foot, right hand. Uh-huh. Separate. Totally. Once you figure it out, it it's like it's like second nature. Do you feel like there are things in life where having this ambidextrous ability to move all your arms, where some people even aren't even sure how many arms you have, <laughs> some people doubt is. Is this total ambidextrous? Is, is this an advantage to you anywhere in life besides drumming? Uh, well, yeah, definitely. You know, I can like, can like st- stir oatmeal and play, you know, dolls with Presley uh, while turning the TV down and grabbing a carton of milk. When and that's like almond milk, by the way. Um, or like I can I can be in my phone while driving or be in my car <laughs> while driving my phone and or no what am I saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is it's totally what it everybody is everybody nowadays they get in the car and then they drive, drive the, phone. the phone instead they forgot they're driving the car <laughs> so yeah it helps it helps in those situations <laughs> signs all over the highway stop driving the phone and drive your damn car <laughs> talk on the car. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fucking fantastic. Um, you have the set there. You're teaching people. You have cameras, mm-hmm. and you're doing lessons on the LiveLessonMasters.com yep. website. Yep, yep. Thanks to to Mark and Alicia there. It's it's, uh, it's working. Yeah, it's working great. Had a, it was a lot of fun. I had a couple of drum lessons on Friday. You know, there in my computer, and we were going back and forth. And I really had a good time on Saturday. I had uh, two hour lessons. So you know, next week I got a couple more students. And, Hoping that uh, I'll get some regulars and teach and watch the changes and watch them get better. And, you know, that'll be cool. I love that. That's great. What are the drummers? Do they want to learn, like, songs? Do they want you to teach them, like, basic stuff? Or is it just whatever you, they want to do? I had two on Friday. And one was interested in actually, like, drum and bass and developing, like, uh independence on the drum kit so mm-hmm. like like what we were talking about with the right hand and the right foot and then the other student was kind of specifically interested in technique wanted to hone in on her rolls and, and diddles and she wanted to make her hands faster so i kind of gave her some marching band stuff that i used to do that really strengthened my hands pretty quickly so um and then i have a I have a lesson next week who that guy is just specifically interested in e-drums. So we'll just we'll just work on e-drums and he wants to like see how it runs into Ableton and what, what my setup is all about. And then uh, I have another another guy next week that's interested in, in strictly snare technique. It's amazing. Yeah. If I was a drummer or even wanted to be a drummer, I would take a lesson with you because you're such an encyclopedia <laughs> of stuff. How could you not learn something? It'd be impossible. Thanks. Uh, well, right, really great. Before I was in the Disco Biscuits, I, I taught actually for ten years. 
Oh. Right out, right out of high school, I had like 50 students a week. And I was going from. I did some at the high school. I would float around to different high schools around Columbus and have students there. I would like drive to their their houses and teach them in their house. And then I also did like percussion ensembles through middle schools and high schools. And I did like drum lines and would like take them to competitions and got some best in class rankings and stuff. So. But then once I joined uh, Disco Biscuits, I kind of I had a couple stu- students here and there, but uh, it wasn't like uh, before before I was in the band. So this is cool. It's kind of like a, I'm kind of getting back to like like the root stuff kind of stuff I was doing right out of right out of high school in college. Yeah, it makes you think about all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, it's now you got to read. Yeah, I have like get reconnect with it, and, and it's good for me too because I actually haven't gone over some of these uh, exercises in a few years so it's cool to go back and look at it and and i feel like where i would love to be out there playing shows with you and mark and aaron and and crushing it in front of all of our 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 fans uh at this time right now this with the lessons and the website that that mark and alicia made uh, it's going to give me the ability to become a better drummer because i'm going to be teaching other drummers and you know i'm going to be going over things that i don't you know when i sit down to, to kit I'm kind of practicing songs and maybe some solo ideas, but I'm not really specifically like honing in on a certain exercise that I used to play, you know, like 20 years ago. So this gives me a cool opportunity. That's awesome. Okay, so we really got through all of the questions. Cool. We really got into a lot of stuff. We talked about your upbringing, all your drums, all your jam sentiments. Can we have one quick conversation before we go about the coronavirus itself? All right. What is your take on this pandemic? How do you feel about the whole society and the whole world shutting down all at the same time, all within a week? How did that make you feel when it happened? When we were in Philly and we were going to do the shows, but we wound up being in the studio, it was surprising to me how fast everything shut down. And that was kind of worrisome at the same time, too, obviously. It was just so fast. I just couldn't believe it. As far as the coronavirus, being an asthmatic, it's something extremely scary. I mean, it's scary to everyone, I would think it would be you know i think you should be a little scared at least be responsible about how to do things right now for me it's actually you know in 2010 i went to the hospital 2009 when we did those new year shows and i almost died my dad actually revived me on the way to the hospital with cpr he kept me alive and i was in icu for like seven days or eight days or something like that and I had like a, a new When did that happen? That happened. I think it was our New Year's run. I didn't play the shows. It was our New Year's run from 2009 going into 2010. I think it was that one. It was like at the Terminal 5. Right. You played with Deitch yeah. and Greenfield. Uh-huh. Uh, and what happened to you that week? I don't know if it was a combination of traveling, you know, and rehearsing. You know, we were getting ready for the shows. My allergies are pretty sensitive to, to like, dust and stuff, and I don't know. I had some sort of allergic reaction that it, it just triggered some asthmatic problems, and for some reason, I don't know if it was my immune system was weak, or I, I don't know why it got so bad, but it, it just got bad fast. And I wound up that Christmas Eve, I had an asthma attack to the point where it was like an asthmatic seizure and I had to go to the emergency room and ambulance. Uh, Sandra had to call 911 and they picked me up. We went to the emergency room, they stabilized me. It was Christmas Eve and they were like, well, 
you're stabilized. We feel like you can go home. You don't want to be in the hospital on Christmas. And so, of course, we were like, no, don't want to be in the hospital on Christmas. They sent me home, and then the next day was Christmas, and I wound up having another asthma attack. And it was worse than the one from the day before. Luckily, my parents had, had just gotten there, you know, and Sandra's parents, too. We were about to have, like, Christmas Day type stuff. Sandra couldn't get to the phone fast enough to get the ambulance there, so she drove me to the hospital with my father in the back of our car performing CPR on me and uh, I went to the emergency room and they put me on the table and um, I actually had a uh, what I can only assume is a near-death experience um, I was out in La La Land I had no idea what was going on and I, it was like I was in this body of water or I could see this body of water and, and all of a sudden these four like squares came up to the surface of the water and the two on the outside lit and then the two on the inside lit and then once the two on the inside lit it was like i woke up and i was on this emergency room hospital table and there's all these people above me and they were just about to stick the ventilator down my throat because i wasn't breathing on my own and i snapped out of it i had such a allergic reaction I, they couldn't just obviously let me go back home so they put me uh in the hospital and i had to fight it for the next week basically and you guys had to get another drummer to play the shows. <laughs> you know, I got off on a tangent there, but uh, for me, this coronavirus is very scary. You know, it should be scary for all individuals, but for a person with asthma, it's a very scary thing because all I can think about is if I get it, is it gonna, am I gonna die? Am I gonna be in the situation that I was in in 2009? You know, uh, and that was pretty scary. Right, it's a respiratory illness uh -huh. and that's, yeah, that doesn't work at all. Right, and the, the symptoms and I've been reading and I've had to stop watching the news and stop reading. It's been kind of too much for me. I just kind of get the information that I need and then I, you know, got to turn the news off. I can't, like, be a news junkie because it's just too much right now. I feel like, and I don't know if this is the right call, but I feel like everything does. I, I wish they would just shut everything down. Like, just do it. Get it over with. Like, instead of having California shut down and then New York shut down and then Colorado shut down. To me, it seems like it makes more sense to shut it all down at the same time. Everywhere, all, all over the world, you know, we're all shut down at the same time. We all wait for the symptoms or the virus to run its course and not infect as, as many people as it could and then we all start back to our regular lives you know i feel like we're making a mistake by not shutting it because i feel like once cali opens back up then there's going to be people traveling and you know it's just going to be it's going to be like a cycle and, uh, and then it's like a matter of we're going to have to wait until they invent a vaccine and everybody's vaccinated you know so it's very scary it is very scary, and I wonder if it's going to be here to stay. Like, every year we have this coronavirus month. Right, right. I wonder how can you get rid of it completely, you know? It's like you're going to have... It's like, obviously, it has to become like a... You know, you get your flu vaccine every year or you don't, and then you get your coronavirus vaccine every year or you don't. It's weird because I thought a vaccine was just a little bit of the illness. That's what I thought, too, yeah. So why, why is it so hard to make a coronavirus vaccine? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we're not going to make one with a guitar and a drum that's, kit, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> no matter how we try, <laughs> we, should, we should get together and turn the microphones on and try and make a vaccine See with a guitar can do. and a drum kit. <laughs> Some people would say we can make one. <laughs> yeah, I know, seriously. People, I mean, nobody's getting coronavirus at that party, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, man. This was really great to talk to you like this. And uh, 
think this is a really fun conversation. I'm super happy about the way this ended up. Nice. Glad you made some time to talk Thanks to me for today. Having me. It's a pleasure. I'm training for a marathon, I wanted to mention. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> when did you start that? I actually started it uh, in August, and the marathon was going to be May 17th, but it's not anymore. It's going to be Colfax Marathon. I don't know if they've canceled it, wow. but I'm still training as if it is May 17th. Even if they don't cancel it, I don't think I'll run the Colfax Marathon. I think I'll run a marathon that day, but I don't think I'll join the race. How many miles do you run a week right now? On Tuesday, I did 19 miles. In one run? In one run. And, and then I have like off days where I do like some workouts when I'm not running, you know, upper body, lower body, and then like a total body day. And then I have two other days a week that I do eight miles each day. So this week I'm doing 20 miles is my long run, and then I have two eight-mile runs. So it'll be a 36-mile week. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That uh, I always thought the marathon was just those, those runs are so long. Like 19 miles is, was that solid two hours for you? Three hours? Three hours. Even? Yep, it was three hours. I'm actually, when we go play shows, I'm faster when we hit the, when I'm on the East Coast because the altitude is so much different. You know, out here oh, wow. in Colorado, I'm doing like nine minute miles but out on the east coast i'm doing like six minute 52 second miles you know that's funny because when we played worcester two years ago i was training for a half marathon Uh uh-huh and we played worcester we stayed at a hotel and i found this two mile pave loop around a park yeah i ran that and uh i had a really great mix of this like kind of africanized house music Uh and it was like a lot of ding, 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 while the kind of a full trance was going on. Uh-huh. And I crushed all my, I ran eight miles that day and I was, I just crushed all my records. I felt like I had like a breakthrough yeah. as a runner. Uh-huh. And you're, you're saying that's the East Coast, that's running on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easier on the lungs out on the East Coast for me. So actually, you know, I was listening to like audibles, like, like books while I was running. The breakthrough actually, which is kind of ridiculous play drums and stuff and playing the disco biscuits but the breakthrough was putting music on and running to music and i found i was much faster to running to music than i was listening to a to a book yeah it's true and actually true you you running the half marathon and mark ran the half marathon too i kind of wanted to always do a marathon but uh, i never really pushed myself to do it and then you guys doing the half marathons kind of gave me the like hey they're they're doing it you know they say, yeah. they're like let's let's do it let's go for it so let's try it so you know you guys thanks to you guys I'm like going for it yeah and, I, and I'd like to thank Adrian who's uh, one of our track group coaches because the only reason I did a half marathon is because he called me up and was like I'm gonna run a half marathon you want to run it with me and I just couldn't think of a reason why no was the right answer uh-huh, uh-huh. I was like I don't really want to run a half marathon but I feel <laughs> right. bad saying no. <laughs> Totally. That's kind of how it was. I don't really want to mar- run around a marathon, but I've always wanted to kind of do it. So if I'm going to do it, I better do it now. Yeah, exactly. I might as well, I guess. <laughs> I should be able to drag myself for 13 miles on the ground. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the difference between the half marathon and the full marathon. It's, is you can drag yourself for 13 miles, but you cannot drag yourself for 26. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting up into... Well, when I hit 8 miles, I was like, wow, I just ran 8 miles, and then I hit 10, and it was like, holy shit, I just ran 10 miles. And then the half marathon happened, and it was like just an epic moment. I was like, holy shit, I can, I, I can do this, right? Like, the, the marathon's it's, it's, it's attainable, it's doable, and then I hit like 15 miles, and I was like, oh gosh, I don't think I could do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and then like, yeah. last 
last week I did the 19, and it's like, man, I got seven more on top of this. Holy shit, you know. So. <laughs> seven more. You get all the way to 19, and you still have a seven. That's the problem with the marathon. It's like you're always like, oh, my God, 60,000 miles more there. Right. Kind of goes with the meditation, though. You have to clear the head. Totally. And you got to just get the body moving. Yep, yep. Rubberize a little bit. Yep. And it's a lot of grind, a lot of like, well, we're halfway there. We're almost halfway there. All right, we're halfway there, you know. So a lot of like mental talking yourself through the uncomfortable suffering part of the, the run sometimes. Being in Colorado, there's, it's kind of mountainous, so it's, there's a lot of hills on the run. And they, they definitely toy with your grit, you know what I mean? They kind of make a, a wimp out of you sometimes. So make you want to stop, and, and you got to kind of push yourself. You run on the street in Colorado. I do. Well, you know, when it's like snowing and stuff, I have a treadmill. But, uh, you know, if, if it's the sun's out and there's no clouds, then it'll be easily 60 degrees. So I'll go run outside. Amazing. I didn't know this. Congratulations. I hope you get your marathon in in May. That sounds great. Thanks, man. It was supposed to be the week after we, you know, were playing Colorado. So it was going to be this, like, wonderful, epic week for me. But uh, it'll still be epic. It'll still be great. <laughs> I'll run a half marathon on the same day. I've been I've been out jogging. I've nice. been hitting some miles recently. All right. You know, I had a I had a ten nine minute run going the oh. other day where I was running in that range. Yeah, just feeling it a little bit. Cool. That's you know it's, it's something I'm trying to add back in mm-hmm. to my current setup. Mm-hmm. But they had this great running track across the street at the school, and because of COVID-19, I can't run yeah. on the track yeah. at the school. They had a track what? here I was using. There was an indoor track I was using here, because doing 13, 14, 15 miles on a treadmill can obviously get very, very boring. <laughs> so, not that doing it at an indoor track is that much more exciting, but uh, there's, like, people, and there's, like, basketball and volleyball and stuff going on, so it kind of takes your mind mm-hmm. off it. But, yeah, they closed that down, too, so. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't go to, there's all these open-air places that are just, like, I guess if you have places where people are going to congregate, you got to get everyone out of them or make it so they can't possibly congregate. Yeah, yeah, I guess But still, I don't think if you have a place where people congregate, it's your job to prevent people from congregating, Mm -hmm. you know? I think people have to prevent themselves from congregating. Yep, yep. If they're going to get out and they're going to get themselves the virus, then... You know, then they're going to have the flu for three weeks and it's going to suck and hopefully nothing worse than that. Right. There is some element to, like, we kind of need herd immunity. Like, people do have to get out there and track this thing and get immune to it. Mm -hmm. Just not the asthmatics. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, not the asthmatics. Totally fine. Totally fine. Who's good at respiratory illnesses? Who fights them off great? There's definitely a bunch of people who are like, yo, that shit doesn't fuck with me, you know? I sneezed. It was done. It's over. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Let's make them, like, gather and drink beers in every bar in America and herd out all the bars, get all the immunity, and then we'll go in later. <laughs> I'm going to let you go here. I definitely have a great episode, and thanks, man. Yeah, this thank really you. fantastic. Cool, man. I, I, it was a good conversation. Good, good talking to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alan O'Quinn, thank you so much, Alan. That was great. It was a real pleasure to chat. And the uh, podcast community appreciates your drumming a lot. I think the fan base loves your drumming. Keep it up, buddy. Um, that's it for today, folks. We just made 30. We did a really good job. We're going to go to uh, 31 and 32 immediately, so expect those right away. Um, 
Let me just do some credits here. Touchdowns All Day is an Osiris Media production. Check it out at touchdownsallday.com. Use hashtag touchdownsallday on social networks, and it's available everywhere you podcast. Produced by Rich Steele and Kronk Mike. Executive producer Vic Sobti. The design team is Matt Munson, Will Sozansky, website Christian Cortez, photographers Dave Van, Andrew Blackstein, Sam Silkworth, and Sean Gillis. The street team, Nicole St. Jones, Jesse Boya, Anna Lauren, Mike Walsh, Christopher Tyrell, Kendra Leesberg, and Richard Darrell. Special thanks, of course, to the Disco Biscuits. I'm your host, John Barber. Have a great and shiny day. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating.